Hello listeners, I have really exciting news because I would love to welcome you to episode 100 of Greater Than Code. Yay, 100 Yay. episodes. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Jamie Hampton, and I'm here with my friend John K. Sowers. Thanks, Jamie. And I'm so excited to be here on episode 100. Our guest is Jamie Slutsky. She is a virtual CTO providing tech strategy and implementation services. She integrates software systems for creative but out-of-the-box entrepreneurs so that they can spend their time and energy creating content and engaging with their clients. She thrives by removing tech as a barrier to letting her clients' visions shine through. Jamie hosts the Tech of Business podcast, where she showcases the role of software and technology in businesses of every size and shape. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a fun conversation because I love code, but I love so much more than that, too. (laughs) Then you're perfect for the show. I want to start out with the question that we often start out with, in fact, always start out with, which is, what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? My superpower is taking complex ideas and just figuring out the fastest way from here to there. I mean, honestly and truly, I can look at a complicated system. I can look at the scenario of driving my kid to carpool or a computer system. It doesn't matter. And I figure out the best possible way. And I think that that came about out of necessity because I had to find my place in the world. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, it's kind of strange, but it works and it, it works pretty well um, in business and in life and everything. Yeah, that sounds like a useful in all situations superpower. It's helpful for sure. The biggest challenge that I had with it is that I couldn't figure it out for this school year for my daughter to be able to dance, my older daughter to dance. And so I've pivoted her entire schedule so that she and I get one-on-one time that we weren't going to have if she danced. So I kind of turned it into a positive because I couldn't figure out the logistics, which was kind of depressing. I actually figured out the logistics, but I couldn't put people in place to make it happen. So. (laughs) So it wasn't a fault of your superpower. It was Your superpower worked. Yes. There's people around it that didn't work. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And then it led you to come up with a good fallback, too. Yes, because now I get to spend time with my 12-year-old. I mean, who doesn't want to help shape them in that pivotal year, the final year before teenager? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. So you mentioned, obviously, some personal uh, situations where you found this really useful. And I'm sure we could dive into some more of those. But I'm also interested in the business situations where you find that really useful. Yeah, yeah. Um, So in business, I spend a lot of time putting systems together, making disparate pieces of technology work together. So it may be a WordPress website and using Zapier to do some integrations and using a third-party checkout program and doing all these different things. And I tend to say, okay, what do we actually need to accomplish? And oftentimes I can cut out a piece of technology or I can write one large zap um, on Zapier that accomplishes everything that needs to be there so that we have fewer breakpoints. And that's really the biggest part of it all is make it system streamlined so that they don't end up being bloated and overly complicated. (laughs) 
I spend a lot of time working in a course and membership delivery platform. And inside there, I actually will go into the code and write things to make it so that things are more functional and so that we don't have to necessarily add in additional pieces of technology as well. So it's really just a matter of bringing the pieces together in a chronological and logical order, not just for the client who is the one who's paying me, but for their users. Because I can create the most complicated system out there and imaginable and make it work flawlessly. But that's not going to benefit the end user and uh, the consistent user who is my client. And I guess I think that's probably the biggest reason why I love honing in on this superpower (laughs) is because I want to make it simple for people to use and for tech not to be a roadblock going forward. I I mean, there's so many people who realize that that tech is somehow involved in a solution that they need, but completely daunted by like, well, where do I even start? There's, I mean, there's a million different routes that you could go when you start adopting a technological solution. Absolutely. And the nice thing is, is that there is not one right answer. And it's also really helpful to know that there's not one right answer and that you can follow three or four different rabbit trails and find the best one that is for you. It's it's kind of that same thing as like just-in-time learning. It's just-in-time, what do I need to use in order to accomplish this particular task or goal? I really like what you said about tech not being a roadblock. And I, I hope maybe we could like continue talking about that. I think that like as... A programmer, I feel like tech is like what I do and what I should be doing and what I'm good at and what I should be good at. And so it's very frustrating to me when I'm struggling with it. Um, even <laughs> as something as simple as like I literally this morning I was on an I was giving an inter- we're hiring at my job and I was interviewing someone and we were having like technical difficulties on like Skype. And I was like, we're supposed to be doing like screen sharing our code and we can't and we're both technologists, but I guess we just can't. And that was frustrating. So I guess what you said about tech as a roadblock kind of resonates with me, but I was hoping that you could like talk more about it too, like what kind of roadblocks it might cause and like how maybe we could avoid those kind of pitfalls. Absolutely. That's a great line. And I actually, I use tech as, I don't want tech to be a roadblock. And I think of it a lot with business owners or with people who their primary function is not in tech implementation. I'm thinking about people who are growing a team and need to have a way of communicating with the team. They could go 20 different routes for communication Yet, and every single one of them could be successful, but they get stuck at the starting point, figuring out which one of those decisions, which one of those 20 they could go with. And my general philosophy is either implement or or get going with something that you know someone you trust is already using or pick two, evaluate two, use one that you think is best based on what your initial evaluation is of those two. Use it for at least a month. And then if it didn't work to the specifications and everything else, then compare it against one other system. If you stick with the same system that you're on, try it for another three weeks before you actually want to make a switch. So tech, you can start down a road of technology, you know, of trying to figure out what technology to use. But if you just start using it, Read the manuals, watch the YouTube videos, 
be in the Facebook group. There are tons of resources to answer the question. So don't make the decision point of what tech to use be a roadblock to move forward and accomplish what you're looking for. I mentioned already that I spend a lot of time in course delivery and membership environments. And I had this client who came to me and wanted to run a membership site on a course delivery platform, which in general is the way I recommend going. But based on the direction that he wanted to go with his business, I said, you know what? We need to use a different solution. And he said, okay, you know what you're talking about. If he had continued on using that other system, it would have put a hindrance in front of every single step just because of the way that he was doing it. So he came to me as a tech expert and said, I think I want to use this. And I could look at the whole situation again, drawing on my superpower, I guess, and figuring out that it wasn't the best right solution. So tech is just, it's a part of what we all do. It's a part of where we're at. And it's, super fun to get to implement something that you know is the right piece of technology. Yeah, there, there's so many. I mean, I, I, I'm hard pressed to think of many jobs or businesses these days that don't have some sort of technology component. And I think over time, that's becoming more and more important in, in what you choose and how it's going to inform the success of your venture. And so having an expert on call, it's got to be really handy so that you can get over those like option lock situations that you're talking about and have a sort of a framework for picking what you're going to be doing. Yeah. And I have my favorites. There's no question. I have my favorites. I have my favorite plugins for WordPress. I have my favorite way of doing membership sites and courses and payment processing and things like that. But I'm adaptable because I get to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on so that you don't have to as the business owner, or as the marketing person, or as someone who is not in the space of technology all day long. I think what's striking to me about what you said is this idea that like tech can prevent you from doing what you want to do, which like, I mean, I've experienced and definitely makes sense. But when I think about tech as like a whole, I think about like how much easier it has made so many things from when like how they used to be. Like when you think about what did you do before cell phones? Like what if you (laughs) needed what if you were out and you needed to call somebody? It's kind of interesting that like on like a larger timeline, like obviously life is more convenient now that we have cell phones. But on like kind of a smaller timeline, there's lots of ways that cell phones like create difficulties for us in like our day-to-day lives. And that's kind of like an interesting dichotomy to think about, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I'm thinking about it is that our cell phones now become a distraction as much as a tool. And I think a lot of technology, if it's not put into the right light could be seen as a distraction. I'm thinking to myself, as you said, you know, when you were out, you didn't have a cell phone, you needed to get a hold of someone. I remember being at the public library and going to the payphone to call my mom to say I need a ride home and realizing I didn't have that quarter and having to make a collect call to my mom who was 15 minutes away. <laughs> I used to make collect calls when I was a kid on payphones, and like when they would say like say your name to tell someone who they're accepting a collect call from, I would just like say really fast like, "Mom, here's where I am. Please pick me up. Bye." 
for the call. <laughs> I think a lot of us did that. <laughs> that actually brings up an interesting point. I would imagine that one of your considerations when sort of giving a business owner a technology solution is not only what it, the problems it's solving, but also the obligations it creates them. Like they've got to keep the system running. They've got to keep it integrated into their business. And, and so that, you know, there, there are some responsibilities there that you're giving them along with the system to keep it all going. And so how do you sort of handle that handoff? Like here, you know, here's this thing that's working, but you know, you've also got to keep it going. The best example of that is whenever I do a WordPress website for somebody, which when I do that, I basically, I do walkthrough videos. I give them structure to, okay, this is how often you need to go in and run your updates. This is how your backups are performed. So I set them up as best as possible for success. And then of course, I also have a retainer package where I could be the one to go in and do that. I have that actually priced a little bit high because it's not my favorite thing to do. So if some someone wants to hire me to do it, I'm happy to do it because I know it'll get done. But on the flip side, I don't want to have it on my plate all the time. But I think that the absolute best way to help someone do that is to set up the system for them maintaining it so that they understand what the obligations are and what the rules are. I've used things like Process Street to create the setup for how to go in and for updates, run your backup, run, do your updates, those kinds of things so that they can then just add it to their workflow, their weekly workflow. And that's something that's worked out pretty well in the past. And then I also do screen share videos with them so that they have a set of videos to actually watch because a lot of people are visual learners and anytime you can give a visual component to things is helpful. Tell me a little bit more about Process Street. Yeah, so Process Street is a website and it's an you know, it's a tool that you can use to list out every single step of whatever project or process you're you're going through. So in the case of updating your plugins, themes in WordPress, it would be okay, the first step is log into WordPress. The second step is click on this and see what's here. And the third step is if you have this, then do this. Fourth step, if you have this, then do this and things like that. And then once that process has been created, you can go in and then say, okay, I want to run this instance. And you can actually say, I'm running an instance of this process. So you can timestamp it, date stamp it, you whatever you wanted to do and say, hey, this was the first Thursday of the month. And that's the day you, you run the process. And you can actually, especially if you're using more than one tool, you've got a project management tool and your processes, you can actually set up a reminder to go and run that process. And you can then see that you actually completed all the steps because you check them off inside Process Street. So it's just a nice, easy way to I have a procedure, step-by-step um, -step procedure, and it, I, I think it's a great tool. I use it internally and the, the team as well here at, you know, tech of business team so that, especially for onboarding, it's a great one for onboarding when you want to bring somebody in. It's a, it, it's nice to have checklists and it's a nice, easy one to use. Yeah. Checklists are fantastic. Uh, there's a book recent, uh, in the last few years called The Checklist Manifesto that I really enjoyed by Atul Gawande. Uh, he talks about using them in a in a medical context 
uh, you know, like for surgeries and things like that. But it, like for everyday stuff, it, like for software releases, it's something we use. Uh, it's also really handy. Do you think there's something inherently rewarding emotionally about using a checklist? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves to be able to check things off because then you know that you've accomplished something. I've heard so many times people are like, I don't know how the whole day got away from me. I'm like, well, write it down. Write down what you did. But even better than that, write down the night before everything you want to do. And then you can say, I did it. I did it. I did it. And it's just, it's a fun, it's a visual. And again, I mean, I said people are visual learners. Uh, We need visual gratification just as much as visual learning. For me, I think I also do checklists. I'm a bullet journaler. I don't know if we have any other bullet journalers, but Using it to keep track of what I'm doing is definitely helpful, but I think that at the end of the day, I'm going to be fairly productive whether I have the list or not, but being able to look back, like if I don't have the list, I'll be like, I don't know, I didn't do anything today, but if I have the list, I'll be like, oh, I mailed the letter I was supposed to mail, and I went to the bank, and I did all these things that I did immediately and then never thought about them again because they were just chores, but it makes me able to look at my list and go, No, I didn't do nothing. I did some important things that now I don't have to worry about anymore. And it makes me like feel better about it. Mm -hmm. And I work from home. And so sometimes I have to go to the grocery store. And sometimes I have to do meal prep because I'm out at gymnastics that night because my daughter, my younger daughter does gymnastics four days a week. So that's another story altogether. So sometimes I feel like, oh, I didn't get as much accomplished at work or, you know, during my work time as I had wanted to. So having that checklist of I went to the grocery store, I made lunches, I did this. It helps me realize that there is more to having a successful day than completing a project for a client or getting my inbox to inbox zero. (laughs) Absolutely. So, um, you know, when you're running, uh, I mean, this is something I've worked with when running some of my own businesses, you need to sort of figure out who your ideal client is uh, and and figure out like who's out there that you can best serve. And so I'm curious as to like who your ideal client is and sort of how you came to that model Yeah, that's a great question because it's been an evolution. I quit working in my corporate job in February of 2011. I quit that job with six WordPress freelance projects on the books. They ran the gamut from I don't remember what to I don't remember what. And I realized that I didn't want to not remember what I was working on and what goal I was helping other people accomplish. And so I have ebbed and flowed a lot in my business trying to figure out who I want to serve and why I want to serve them. I spent a good chunk of the early years working with fitness professionals and working with people in the fitness industry. People can't see us because we aren't on video, but you guys can see that I have a weight rack behind me and I'm very passionate about fitness and exercise and all of that. And so it was a really good fit for me where I was, but I found that people who are in that industry are either at the top of their game 
or just starting out. And there wasn't really a spot that fit well for me. And so I kind of pivoted away from the fitness industry and working with people who have a more established business and want to do something new or big or better online, you know, with their online footprint. It could be somebody who has an established offline business who then wants to add an additional component online or somebody who has a business that's online and they want to add another revenue stream or another mechanism. I love working on virtual summits and, of course, membership sites and courses and things like that because every time I work on that type of work, I get to touch a lot of people's lives through my clients because my clients are serving others with those things. Whereas when I was working on just websites, it was just for my client. It wasn't like I didn't get to see the other side um, past the client to their audience. With what I'm working on now, I really get to see through my client, what kind of impact they're making in a greater society sense. And that's, for me, the biggest reward. And I don't have an industry that I work with specifically, but I work with people who are more established in their businesses and are ready to take that next big leap. That's really interesting. Uh, One thing also that 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 comes up related to this is like, what are the attitudes towards technology that you run into with some of your clients? Like, is there a wide range or do they all have similar sort of feelings about it and like whether they want to do it or don't want to do it or afraid of it or really eager? It runs the gamut as well. I mean, I think that most of them know that technology is the answer, but they don't understand how to get from here to there. They don't want to necessarily break anything. And sometimes people think that everything falls on my plate, you know, when I'm in the implementation phase, but I don't work on their content and I don't work on their design. I'm not a designer at all. I have no interest in doing design. I love implementing design. So if someone comes to me and they want to build out whatever it might be, and they think that everything falls on my plate and I'm like, okay, so I need your branding document. I need your graphics. I need this. Oh, you don't do that. So I think there's a little bit of confusion as to what falls into the tech and what falls into other aspects of the project. I think that's probably the biggest thing that people are surprised about is what falls into every single project. And when you're working with different project coordinators or team leads or things like that, there is going to be a different subset that that team is going to take on that other teams don't. So you never really know until you're in the thick of the conversation what else is going to be necessary. I also think that sometimes there's an over oversimplification that is done by the tech people. Not me necessarily, but probably me sometimes. <laughs> but we live in tech so much. We may not document one piece that then when we hand that project off to someone else, that piece falls through the cracks and then it causes problems and then they don't know where to go and this, that, whatever else. It's, it, it becomes a little bit more chaotic and convoluted a little bit. And so that is a challenge for sure that it's only as good as the documentation and the thoroughness and everything else. Uh, so that I think is the biggest issue with technology is people don't necessarily know what they're getting because it's not like they're picking up a loaf of bread. Yeah, there's that gap between 
the complete novice and the, you know, the experts that, that we are in certain areas where you have to empathize with where they are and sort of shift your mindset to realize like how they're coming at it to think, oh, that's right. When I just say log into the website, there's like, there could be 15 steps in there that they don't know about. And so you have to write them out and make it, you know, clear so that they know what those steps are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, sometimes I install uh, two-factor authentication, actually, on a lot of WordPress sites. I install two-factor authentication. And I have a number of my clients say, I don't want this. This is too hard. And I'm like, I'm doing it for your own good. Just can you, you trusted me with this site. Please trust me with this. And that usually gets them over, over the hump of it. But that is always the case is that there is always going to be a a balancing act between what's going on now versus what's going on in the future and making sure that everything stays up and clean and good and organized. It can be convoluted and messy, but it's fun. (laughs) So when you're thinking about, um, you know, handing off a project back to a business owner, um, you know, there's, I, I would imagine a huge documentation component. So you talked about videos, as being one of those things like screen shares uh, and the process street stuff. What other things come into that package? Like, do you also have written documentation? Do you do meetings? Like, more about that handoff. Yeah, no, that's that's a great direction to take things. And I do documentation. Oftentimes, if I've written a chunk of code, I will pull that code out and I will put it into a document that I then convert into a PDF so that they can't edit it. Um, so that it's just there as as a safeguard in case for whatever reason the code got overwritten or things like that. So I keep that. I provide it to them as well. I summarize what I did in plain English. So when I'm, you know, when I'm working on something, I'll say, okay, I created, I wrote this code which does this. So it doesn't have, they don't have to understand and be able to read the code. And then I will do a video call walking them through everything. And we'll record that so that it's got both their questions and my answers on it. The transfer process seems pretty straightforward most of the time. The biggest thing is, is when I'm actually writing code to make sure that that's well documented. I wrote a full-on plugin for one of my clients, which was fun and exciting and everything else. And that one was a lot of documentation. Why are we writing this plugin? How is it working? What documentation did I use in order to make sure that it was structured correctly? So I've got a lot of citing sources and stuff like that in there as well. But for the most part, it's just as long as they understand what was done in plain English and have um, a recording of their questions with my answers. That's generally where we end up. Yeah, I mean, I think documentation is just is ge- a generally a huge need in the like it's something we recognize like on 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 the teams that I work on that documentation is important and perhaps not as thoroughly produced as it should be, <laughs> and so think uh, sort of thinking about you know you're communicating maybe with your other team who are other developers and so they do have a lot of shared knowledge but they don't have shared knowledge about like what it is you just wrote. And thinking about them almost as, as clients, like you want to do a handoff, like here's here's a nice package of information with a video and the document. Like, I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it and 
using that to sort of motivate more thorough documentation. Yeah. And like documenting inside the code is necessary, especially when you're going back into someone else's code and and enhancing it, really making sure that you clearly document this is what I started, where I started, this is what I'm doing, and this is where I ended. I think that those are really good, but that's for the next person who's reading the code far more so than the person who is evaluating the systems. (laughs) So you have to know your audience. I like to think about documentation as for my future self. I like, it's kind of a selfish way to look at it, but like, it does help me be more careful about it. But like, I'm like the most senior person, like time-wise on my team by a lot. So I'm always getting questions about like, well, why was this written this way? What, like, what's going on with this? What does this do? What is this old code? And I'm very often put in the situation where someone's like, well, you wrote this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean I understand it. And they're like, well, it should. (laughs) And so I'm like, when I think about writing documentation, I think about being put in those situations. And like, when someone asks me in a year, what does this piece of code that I wrote do? Do I want to be like, I don't know, and sound like an idiot? Or do I want to be like, look, here it says, look like we can read it together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then that second one, that makes you look good too. You know, I mean, just think about it selfishly. I mean, if someone comes (laughs) to you and you can say, hey, look, I documented this and you can see it right there. (laughs) It's fun. It's fun to be able to go back and say, oh, I was smart back then. That's the other thing I like about having documentation. When I have, when I go back into a project that I haven't worked on in a few months or even a few years, because I'll have a couple of clients come back to me. Um, I actually have one of those calls tomorrow (laughs) as it happens. (laughs) But being able to go back and say, hey, I kind of know what I'm doing. This is cool. Yeah, I did a good job. So it can be self-serving as well. I recently was going through some really old code in my code base at work, and I found a link in the documentation. I was like, what's this? So what happened is I had been writing something really complicated. I vaguely remember this. It happened about a year and a half ago. And someone else was like, why are you doing this at the time? And so I drew them this stupid little like chart, and I was like, it was like a like a graph that was like, if it does this, then it goes here. And if it does this, then it goes there. And it was just this crappy thing. And I took a picture on my phone and sent it to him on Slack and be like, do you understand it now? And he's like, yes. And he literally linked to that Slack message directly in our documentation. And so I clicked on it and it took me back to this like crappy chart that I had drawn a year and a half ago, which is a genius. And I didn't think of it. But B, I was like, oh, man, I would have made that chart look nicer if I had known that, like, our future devs were going to read it. (laughs) (laughs) How cool, though. I mean, like, kind of going back to we didn't have cell phones sitting on our desks that could take pictures that we could upload to to the Internet and post on a Slack channel. I mean, that didn't exist when I started coding. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to date myself now, but you know, I mean, it, it didn't exist. And now we have these, this many more tools. And I think that's a brilliant way of extending the documentation needs inside your code is to have a link to the more thorough, more complicated document, the why of this piece of code. I think that that may need to be a new trend. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think the most important word in there is why which is something that often gets left out of documentation. It's more of like a how or a what. 
uh, because that's like sort of when you're deep in the weeds, that's what you're thinking about. You're like, oh, so what I do is this and I do this and I do that. But taking that step back and talking about why you're doing it, why it ended up in this situation, why this is the best solution versus all the other solutions. Um, that is incredibly important. And I can say, you know, for one, I tend to overlook it. Yeah, I think we all do. And my husband's a developer at a large corporation as well. So he talks about some of the code that he's written years ago because he's been on the same team for a very long time. And people come back to him and say, why was this written that way? And oftentimes his answer is, is because that was the only real data source that we had, or that was the only mechanism that we had to use. And so they had to jump through several hoops, but now they could go back in and if they understand the why this was done that way and there is a new better way of doing it, then you can go in and clean up the code too. So understanding why something was done, not just for what the goal of it was, but more why that approach was taken versus any other approach is helpful. Yeah, certainly. Because then you know whether it's safe to rewrite it or not. You do know whether you're losing any like weird assumptions that needed to be make at the, made at the time that you could safely remove because they're no longer necessary to make those accommodations versus I'd like to rewrite it because I don't understand it. But then you lose suddenly you lose like those weird edge case uh, bits that were yeah, that were there. I fret about that all the time. Actually, yesterday, I just wrote a case statement that was taking state uh, names. I had pre-capitalized them so that I was just comparing the state name in capital form rather than worrying about case sensitivity and returning the state abbreviation. And then I'm like, wait a second, somebody who's in like Massachusetts might have put in their state as mass and not as MA or as Massachusetts. I'm like, that's a case that I don't have in here. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I've left it alone at that. And then I've just written that if this arises, you've written yours as this, it needs to come into this format. And so I've kind of created it so that the user has to correct their data <laughs> rather than creating every single one of those edge cases and all those obscure situations. But it happens. It really does. And understanding why you made the decision to post that message instead of putting, you know, anything else is also valuable. I liked that story about mass uh, versus Massachusetts, because it brings up this question that I think about a lot, which is like, to what extent should I be building things to accept what I predict someone might do versus to what extent should I try to like teach my users to do it the right way and expect them to do it the right way. Uh -huh. And I feel like I struggle with that a lot because like, Obviously, you want something to be, like, as user-friendly as possible, but I don't think there's any way to predict what kind of weirdo things people are going to do. Right, exactly. So, you, I, in my opinion, you want to code to normalize as much as possible. So taking off any leading or trailing spaces before you do your eval, that's an easy thing to do. It makes it clean, just like making it uppercase. That made it clean. But nobody actually, like if you think about it, nobody would actually write a letter and say Boston Mass, uh, then the, the zip code. That's just, that's not the way that we've been 
trained. And so I wouldn't code for something crazy like that. I mean, like I'm in Washington state. No one says wash (laughs) and yet people could abbreviate it to wash to, you know, instead of WA or Washington. And so I think that it's how to best hit the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, my code is going to give the right response based on 80% of people's uh, expected actions. Yeah, I think that's that breaks down like that a lot. I, I know that like as a coder, I, I you want to balance like how, how many branches do you have to build into your code to handle all the edge cases versus just training the user that you can only use these two representations. But I also find myself as a user when those things aren't done, where it's like you type in something with a space at the end and it doesn't strip it off. And you're like, ah, it it was one line of code you could have added there. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was just talking to a guy yesterday who was filling out a form or whatever, and it was a website. And and instead of using radio buttons, they use checkboxes. And as soon as you checked one of them, they grayed out the other ones. It was such an odd (laughs) user experience. It was such an odd user experience. He and I were like pondering. We're like, what would be the reasoning for making a checkbox field and only being able to do one of them? So again, it's like, okay, on the one side, you want to make it as flexible as possible. But on the other side, let's, let's make this make sense and logical as well. So if you're talking to sort of a generic business owner that's in, in your sort of target size, what would you like them to understand about technology that would make your life easier or that would make them sort of think bigger or more like th- how would you like them to think about technology that would take the most advantage of it and, and most advantage of what you can give them? Oh, that is such a great question. I like to have my clients think about what they want to create and who they're creating it for and not actually think about the technology all that much. I say, okay, you have to create your content and you have to cultivate your audience. How is your audience going to want to receive this content? And I will make that happen. And so... I don't necessarily have them think about understanding if it needs to be in a membership site or in a course or on a, you know, on on YouTube or whatever it might be. I don't necessarily think about that so much as making sure that they understand that you can provide downloadable PDFs and you can provide audio files that are downloadable. You can provide videos that are streaming and, you know, and really making it so that they understand what can come out the other side of the technology so that the engine works itself. You and I, or all of us, we know that technology can do a lot that most people don't have a clue about. And I like to kind of make it so that they don't think of technology kind of rolling back to technology is not a roadblock. Just what do you want to do? And if we determine that technology can do it, then we're going to do it. But knowing what you want to do before figuring out how to do it is a much better approach than saying, okay, you need to understand how this system works and this system works. You have to pick your technology before you figure out what you want to actually do. So I think that's really where I like to take things. 
All right, cool. So we're at the time of the show where we're going to do our reflections, which are just the ideas that have come to us as part of the this discussion that really stand out are things that we're going to want to think about a little bit more. And I think for me, this is really sort of reinforcing something that's been happening like a lot this week is discussions about documentation. I was at uh, DevOps Days Boston earlier in the week, and there was a lot of discussion about documentation there. And then on the show yesterday, we talked about it a whole bunch, and now we're talking about it here again. And so I think uh, it, it's clearly something that is either the forefront of my mind or the, or should be at the forefront of my mind and thinking about ways to integrate it more closely into my processes and my team's processes. I guess for my reflection, I want to throw back way to the beginning of the show when we were talking about tech not being a roadblock and like deciding what tech to use, um, because I thought that was really practical advice from Jamie. I feel like becoming paralyzed by having so many choices is like a very real thing that happens to me about things like this and about other things in my life. I I feel like I, it's when, when I'm presented with like a couple options, I can handle that. But when I'm presented with a lot of options in general, I just find that very overwhelming. And I particularly liked what you said about like getting a recommendation from somebody that you trust, because I think that's such a natural thing that we all do without even thinking about how smart that is. Like the idea that like, oh, somebody said this and now it's in my brain. It like helps with that feeling of being overwhelmed. But I also think the advice of like just freaking try one and do it rather than sitting here paralyzed by indecision is such good advice and it works in like this tech context but I think it also works in lots of contexts so I'm gonna start when I start to feel myself becoming paralyzed by indecision I think I'm gonna start trying to say just freaking pick one (laughs) (laughs) Jamie do you have a reflection yeah I I think for me a you know, reflection of this is that everything that we do in our businesses in isolation, like that documentation, like I document in isolation, I don't necessarily think about who the end user is. And I really, really loved the whole idea of why am I writing this code? And why am I documenting it this way? And why am I choosing this piece of technology over sitting there in paralysis mode? I think that 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 why statement is really kind of what I'm taking away most from this episode and <laughs> our conversation. Well, I think this was a really great episode. I'm so happy that you came on the show. I really, we really appreciate your time and your insight. So thank you. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. It's been fun. I want to thank all of our listeners so much for listening to our show and supporting us and letting us get all the way to 100 episodes, which is just a really exciting milestone for me. Um, And we don't plan on stopping anytime soon. We have a bunch of really exciting shows lined up um, all the way into the new year, and I'm really pumped about it. Um, So if you enjoy our show, if you want to see it keep going, if you want to continue having great conversations like this, um, really consider pledging to us on Patreon. I believe our Patreon is patreon.com slash greater than code. And if you pledge at any level, you'll get an invite into our Slack community, which is really amazing community of people. And we have lots of of conversations like this all the time. Um, You can ask questions that we could ask to our guests and be part of our community. It's really great. And we really appreciate all of our patrons. 